Chapters three and four of Shasta of the Wolves by Olaf Baker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter three Shasta comes very near being eaten by a bear. The weeks and months went by. Only Shasta did not know anything about time, and if the months ticked themselves off into years, he took no account of them. Each month he became more and more wolf like and less and less like a human child. And because he wore no clothes, hair began to grow over his naked body, so that soon there was a soft brown silky covering all over him, and the hair of his head fell upon his shoulders like a mane. And as he grew older, much knowledge came to him, which is hidden from human folk, or which perhaps they have forgotten in their building of the world." he learned not only to see things very far off and clearly, as if they were near, but he learned also to bring them close by smelling, to know what manner of meat they were. And if his nose or his eyes brought him no message, then his ears gave him warning, and he caught the footsteps that creep stealthily along the edge of the night. And he learned the difference between the three hunting calls of the wolf, the howl that is long and deep, and which dies among the spruces, or is echoed dismally among the lonely crags. The high and ringing voice of the united pack on a burning scent, and that last terrible bark that is half a howl, when the killing is at hand. Yet it was not only of the wolves that Shasta learnt the speech of the wild. He knew the things the bears rumbled to each other as they went pad-padding on enormous feet. Of the black bears he had no fear, but for the grizzlies he had a feeling that warned him it was wiser to keep out of their way. The feeling was not there in the beginning, but it grew after a thing had happened one never-to-be-forgotten day. He had been sleeping in the cave during the hot hours, and woke up as the light began to yellow in the waning of the afternoon. He stretched his little hairy arms and legs with a great feeling of rest and of happiness. He felt so well and strong in every part of him that the joyful life inside him seemed bubbling up and spilling over. He was alone in the cave, for his wolf brothers were now grown up and were gone out into the world. Sometimes, at sundown or dawn, he heard them sing the strange wolf song, the song that is as old as the world itself, or a familiar scent would drift to him as he sat in the entrance of the cave and he would know it for the sweet good smell of some wolf-brother as he passed across the world. And sometimes Shasta would lift his child's voice into that wild, unearthly wolf-song that is so very old. This afternoon something seemed to call Shasta to go out into the sun. Nitka had made him understand that it was not safe for him to go far from the cave when she was away. Now she was out hunting, and Shumu was off on one of his mysterious journeys, nobody knew where, so there was all the more need for Shasta to stay close at home. Shasta did not see why he should remain in the dull den all the time that his foster parents were away. Besides, were not his wolf brothers all far out in the world? Perhaps he might fall in with one of them, and sniff noses together for the sake of old times. He determined to go out and try. As he passed out, he heard the blue jays scolding in the trees. 
now there is a rule which all wise forest folk observe it is this when the blue jay scolds look out sometimes of course the blue jays simply scold at each other because somebody has taken somebody else's grub or just because they have a falling out for fun but the wise wild folk pay no attention to this knowing it to be what it is and when the blue jays scold in a peculiar manner then the wise ones know that there is danger afoot and that you must keep a sharp lookout now although shasta was so young he was quite old enough to understand the difference in the sounds unfortunately this afternoon he was in a mad mood and he just didn't care he saw the autumn sun bright on the rocks at the den's mouth he saw the glimmer of the blue over the tall tops of the pines high above the canyon a dark blob circled slowly against the sky far off though it was shasta saw that it was kennebec the great eagle who was lord of all the eagles between the mountains and the sea shasta watched him for a little while making wide circles on his mighty sweep of wing then he ran up the mountainside and as he ran the blue jay scolded more and more if shasta had not been in so bad a mood he would have known by the chatter of the jays that the danger was coming uphill also if he himself had not been running downwind he would have smelt what the danger was creeping up behind but something that seemed to call him in the cave was calling him now from the high rocks so on he climbed careless of what might be going on below he climbed higher and higher close by one of the rocks a birch tree hung itself out into the air when he reached it he stopped to look back down at the edge of the forest he saw a thing that made him shiver from between the shadowy trunks of the pine trees the shape of a huge grizzly swung out into the sun it came on steadily up the mountain its nose well into the wind shasta knew that he himself was doing the fatal thing he was spilling himself into the wind and even now the grizzly was eating him through his nose by this time shasta was very frightened he looked this way and that to see how to escape he knew that he could not get back to the cave in time for it lay close to the grizzly's upward path and already the bear was halfway there the moving of his great limbs sent all his fur robe into ripples that were silver in the sun he was coming at a steady pace and if he wanted to quicken it shasta knew with what a terrible quickness those furry limbs could move as for himself his wolf training had taught him to run very swiftly but he ran in a stooping way using his hands as well as his feet only he doubted whether his swiftness could save him from the grizzly over the broken ground and far away over the canyon kennebec swept his vast circles as calmly as though nothing was happening because all went so very well in the blue lagoons of the air nothing was happening up there but here upon the barglosh everything was happening and poor little shasta felt that everything was happening wrong in his terrible fear shasta started to run up the mountain and as he ran he looked back 
To his horror, he saw that the grizzly had seen him and had also started to run. Up the rocky slopes came the terrible pad-pad of those cruel paws, and Shasta knew well that the paws had teeth in them, many cruel teeth to each paw, and still Shasta went darting upward, running swiftly like a mountain fox. As he ran, a thought came into his head. If he could circle down the mountain, he might hide behind the rocks till the grizzly had passed, and so reach the cave in time. For he had the sense to know that although a grizzly is more than a match for wolves in the open, it thinks many times before it will attack them in their den. Again Shasta looked back. He saw that the grizzly was gaining upon him. He turned swiftly among the boulders to the left, dodging as he went so as to be out of sight of his enemy. The longer he could keep up the flight, the more chance there was that either Nitka or Shumu might return. He ran on wildly, the terror in him, like the grizzly behind, gaining ground. He saw the long mountainside stretching out far and far before him to the northwest. He looked eagerly to see if any gray shadows should be moving eastwards along it, the long, gliding shadows that would be his wolf parents coming home. But nothing broke the lines of gray boulders that lay so still along the slopes. All the great mountains seemed dead or asleep. Nothing living moved. Shasta ran on and on, looking fearfully backwards now and then and expecting every moment to see the form of the great grizzly come bounding over the rocks. Far below him in the timber he heard the screaming of the jays. There was a fresh tone in the cry. Before it had been a scolding of the bear. Now it was a cry to Shasta. Run, little brother, run! It did not need the crying of the blue jays to make Shasta run. He was covering the ground almost with the speed of the wolves themselves. Now he began to slant down towards the timber, darting down the mountain, leaping from boulder to boulder in the manner of the mountain sheep. Yet behind him, faster and faster, as the rush of his great body gathered force, the grizzly launched himself downwards in an avalanche of fur. Shasta knew only too well that, unless something happened, the chase would not go on much longer. It might be a little sooner or a little later, but the grizzly must have him at the last unless he could reach the trees in time. The trees were his only hope. If he could reach them, he could escape. For among the great things he had learned of the ways of the forest folk, he had learned this also. A grizzly does not climb and it was in this one thing only that he could outdo his wolf brothers. He could climb into the trees. He looked back. The thing was hurling itself nearer, the fearful avalanche of fur. Now he began to feel fear that he could not reach the timber in time. The grizzly was gaining at a terrible pace. And then a thing happened. Down a slant the mountainside there came leaping in tremendous bounds the form of a big she-wolf. On it came at a furious speed, every spring of the powerful haunches sending the long gray body forward like an arrow loosed from a bow. And as she came, there rose from the deep in her throat a long-drawn howl. 
the mustering cry of the wolves when the prey is too heavy for one to pull down alone the grizzly saw her coming but could not stop he was going too fast to turn as to avoid the first onslaught with a snarl of fury nitka sprang her long fangs snatched horribly there was a gash behind the bear's left ear he snorted with rage and tried to pull up before he could do so nitka had snapped at his flank and leapt away then at last by a supreme effort the grizzly pulled himself up and turned upon his unexpected foe by this time shasta was well within reach of the trees but some instinct made him suddenly alter his course and turn towards the cave the grizzly seeing this started again in pursuit of his prey once more nitka leaped and the long fangs did their deadly work but this time the bear turning with remarkable quickness hurled her off and did so with such force that nitka almost lost her balance a wolf however is not easily thrown off its legs and again nitka attacked each time she sprang the bear stopped to meet her nitka knew full well what she would have to expect if she came within striking distance of those terrible paws and not once did she allow the grizzly to get his chance to strike and every time the bear turned shasta was making good his escape farther and farther up the slope yet still the bear continued the chase as if determined in spite of all nitka's fierce defence to have his kill at last but he did not reckon upon two enemies at once, and he did not know that a second one, even more to be dreaded than Nitka, would have to be faced before he could seize his prey. Shasta had almost reached the cave now. He saw the shadowy mouth of it just beyond the clump of bushes where the great cliff broke down. Yet if the grizzly should follow him into the cave— at close quarters nitka would be no match for the grizzly those terrible paws would have the wolf within striking distance and then no matter how bravely nitka fought she must sooner or later be killed yet just at the moment the instinct for home was the strongest thing in shasta's little mind and so he made blindly for the cave as he darted into it something shot past it in the opposite direction something that leaped in the air with a noise that would have sounded more like the snarl of a mad dog if shasta had ever heard a mad dog than any voice of wolf far away in the lonely places of the great baron shumu had caught the long-drawn hunting cry of nitka and had answered it on feet that swept the distance like the wind with every hair on end with eyes that shone like green fires with his chops wrinkled to show the gleaming fangs shumu hurled himself downwards full in the path of the advancing bear the grizzly saw his coming just in time and raised himself suddenly to give the wolf the blow which would have been his certain death swift as a streak of light shumu swerved as if he actually turned himself in the air the grizzly missed his stroke by a hair's breadth before he could strike again both wolves were upon him. They sprang as with one accord, slashing mercilessly, then, in the wolf fashion, leaping away before the enemy could close. The fight now became a sort of game. 
as far as mere strength went the grizzly was far more than a match for the wolves but their marvellous quickness put him at a disadvantage directly he turned to meet the onset of one the other sprang at him from the opposite direction they kept circling round him in a ring it was a ring that flew and snarled and gleamed and bristled a ring of wild wolf bodies that seemed never to pause for a single second sometimes it widened sometimes it narrowed hemming the great bear in but always it was alive quivering flying ring of shadowy bodies and gleaming teeth more and more the bear felt that he was no match for his opponents hitherto he had no fear of wolves he had held them almost in contempt but these things that leaped and snapped and leaped again seemed scarcely wolves they were wolfish furies to which you could not give a name slowly step by step he retreated down the slope he had given up all thought of the strange wolf cub now his one idea was to defend himself from these terrible foes the like of which he had never encountered before deep in his grisly heart he knew that he was being beaten it was a new feeling and he did not relish it till now he had been monarch of his range and other animals had respected his undisputed right now the tables were being turned and a couple of wolves larger than he had ever seen were driving him steadily back yet he would not turn and run something in his little pig-like eyes told the wolves that whatever happened he would never take safety in flight that is one of the ideas belonging to a king when his back is up against a wall he must fight to the last and that is exactly what the bear was looking for something against which he could place his back to the left about fifty yards away a great spur of rock broke from the mountainside if he could reach that he knew that he could keep his foes at bay he knew also that in order to reach it he would have to fight every yard of the way and up above on the slope a little wild face peered out from the shelter of the rocks and watched and watched with shining eyes chapter four the end of the fight it was a running fight that went on as the great grizzly retreated the one object of the wolves was to keep him on the move the bear made furious rushes this way and that whenever he thought he had one of his enemies within striking distance but as sure as ever he attacked one wolf it leapt clear with marvellous agility while the other like a flash of grey lightning had snatched at his flank and was off before he could turn yet in spite of shumu's greater bulk it was the onset of nitka which punished the bear most severely for the time nitka was like a thing gone mad her eyes blazed like green jewels her teeth flashed with a grin of rage the long suppleness that was her body bent twisted turned and doubled itself in a series of acrobatic leaps which bewildered her foe and baffled even shasta's eyes to see how it was done she was not fighting for any mere purpose of hatred or revenge it was not that she as nitka wanted to conquer the bear the thing that was in her 
the fierce unutterable thing that flamed in her eyes and stabbed nakedly in her teeth was her wild strange love for the man-cub she had so curiously made her own but she did not know why she loved him how should she since the great spirit of the wild had not told her it was enough that the spirit had put the thing into her heart and made it to remain her own wolf-cubs would come and would as certainly go out into the wolf-world that is so wide beneath the stars but the little man-cubs stayed winter and summer autumn and spring only growing larger very slowly because it is the habit of men-cubs and other gods to grow slowly and you cannot build them quickly with ever so much rabbit's flesh nor caribou meat swallowed and predigested and brought up again as food so nitka waged this desperate battle for the life of something she held very dear and in her blind devotion would have sacrificed even her own life sooner than that one morsel of shasta's hairy little body should suffer harm with shumu it was different he had many reasons for fighting and they were all good ones first he fought for nitka because he loved her and had mated with her for life it was that which when her long hunting cry for help had reached him had sent him sweeping along the mountain slopes at such a headlong speed bound up with that the man-cub was her own special property and therefore partly his he did not understand the man-cub shumu never pretended to understand left to his own instincts he would not have loved the man-cub but since the thing belonged to nitka and was what she loved therefore it was for him to be good to it whether he would or no his second reason for fighting was just as good and was that naturally the grizzlies and wolves are enemies and have nothing in common except the desire to kill when the bloodthirst is on them but there was even a third reason as good as either of the others and this was that shumu dearly loved a fight it was not that he was a disagreeable person always ready to pick a quarrel for he was anything but that and quite contented to go his own way peacefully so long as no one disputed it with him but when a vice was forced upon him or there was anything to be gained by being fierce then he wrinkled back his chops in a most threatening manner and made ready for his deadly spring so all these reasons combined made shumu a very dangerous foe and where the causes which forced the grizzly who might have coped with nitka alone to retreat towards the rock it took the bear some time to do this but once he felt the rock against his back he reared himself up on his haunches with his little pig-like eyes red with rage and towered above the wolves like the giant that he was neither nitka nor shumu savage though they might be were so angry as to be fools they knew perfectly well that to attack a grizzly in such a position would be the extreme of madness one blow from one of those terrible steel-tipped paws striking with the force of a sledge-hammer and the wolf that met it would be knocked clean out of the fight so they contented themselves with crouching at a safe distance and waiting to attack again the moment the bear should leave the rock but if the bear ever had such an idea in his huge head he thought better of it and stayed where he was 
and so the time passed the wolves not daring to attack the bear the bear not daring to quit the protection of the rock and it was not until the afternoon had waned into evening and the sunset gold had melted behind the deep forests that the wolves drew back towards the den and the grizzly slipped away into the dusk it was many weeks before shasta recovered from the effects of his fright and was ready to carry his explorations any distance from the cave and though nitka did not punish him and shumu said nothing going about his business silently in the same old way shasta knew quite well that he was in disgrace and that he had better behave accordingly so he contented himself by sitting a good deal in the doorway of the den and watching the happenings of the world from that safe position it was not what you would call a very tidy doorway and there was no mat on which to wipe your paws if you got them muddy with creeping after young geese along the boggy borders of the ponds on the barren there was a fine litter of feathers fur and bones and the little odds and ends of what had once been game shasta squatting humpily in the middle of the mess looked out with large eyes to snap up the happenings in the world as they fell out through the hours not that very much happened that you could call important sometimes a lynx or a fox would steal softly by sniffing the air suspiciously and keeping at a safe distance with sidelong glances at the den or sometimes a shadow would appear and disappear between the stems of the pine trees with bewildering swiftness and a marten would vanish upon his bloodthirsty way and then if larger game kept out of sight and smell there were always the grasshoppers and wood mice chirruping and scurrying in the tall and feathery grass but after a time shasta grew tired of this do-nothing life at the door of the den and began to take little walks here and there though he kept a sharp lookout and was always ready to go scampering back to the den at the first hint of danger and one thing he learned from his adventure with the grizzly was always to attend to the warning of the blue jays whenever their harsh voices rose from the ordinary gossipy chatter to a warning scream shasta would make off at once without waiting to discover what it was that had caused them to sound the alarm End of chapters three and four